Bill Jackson was a well-respected member of Victoria Police. He was awarded a prestigious APM and worked in the mobile traffic section, second-hand dealers, drug squad and personnel before retiring as the Chief Super of E-District. Former Chief Superintendent Bill Jackson, registered number 12372, passed away on Saturday, April 1st. His daughter, Rochelle Jackson, is the host of The Crime Couch, and she had several chats with her dear dad over the course of The Crime Couch's three seasons. The following is a memorial to Bill Jackson. Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Bill Jackson is a former top cop with Victoria Police, registered number 12372. He was a chief superintendent, awarded an APM, and when Bill retired at 60, he was the longest-serving member in the state. He's also my dad. Hi, Bill. Thanks very much for sitting with me on the crime couch today. Good. It's my pleasure to talk to you, Rochelle. You joined the job, Bill, as a 19-year-old in 1956. What attracted you to Victoria Police? I wanted to join um, the police force in Victoria from when I was about 14 or 15 years of age, but I couldn't apply until I was 19, which I did. When uh, I applied down at the police depot, as we called it in those days, every applicant, after they'd passed their educational test and physical test, Every applicant was interviewed by the Chief Commissioner and I was um, one of the applicants that was interviewed by the Chief Superintendent Selwyn Havelock-Porter who used to be the Chief Executive for the Meyer Emporium. How did he strike you? He was uh, a very pleasant man. He was on the board together with the superintendent of training at the police depot and a member of the police association and I remember him saying to me why do you want to join the Victoria Police and I don't know what I said in reply but I remember him saying well that was a very good answer. And did it live up to what you expected? Yes, I joined as a constable in uh, 1956 and I went through the ranks and eventually retired at 60 years of age, which was the compulsory retirement age. And at that time, when I was 60, I was the chief superintendent of E-District located at Dandenong. You spent 40 years in the job and you worked with many chief commissioners. I'm going to name some of them and would you mind just giving me your opinion of them? Selwyn Havelock-Porter. He uh, was a very good uh, chief commissioner. 
he didn't work his way up through the job. He was a manager at Myers before he got the top job. What about Rupert Arnold? He uh, was commonly referred to as Sheep's Head. Is that because of what he looked like or was it about his performance? Yeah, he wasn't uh, much of a chief commissioner and should never have achieved that rank. Noel Wilby. Noel Wilby was an ex-homicide squad detective and was very good, but he suffered from a lot of ill health and he didn't remain as chief commissioner for very long and he retired. Reg Jackson. Reg Jackson was very good, no relation to me, but a very practical chief commissioner. Mick Miller. Probably the pick of the lot. Mick was a great chief commissioner and one of the best that I've ever served under. Kel Glare. Didn't think much of Kel. He was an assistant commissioner and was trying to work his way up to become chief commissioner. But I didn't have uh, much regard for him. You retired, as I said, as a chief super. But of course, Vicpol no longer have that rank. Why is that, do you think, and what's been lost? Well, they've flattened the rank structure. These days there is no rank of chief inspector and there's no rank of chief superintendent so that they've flattened the structure and, of course, they've cancelled a lot of people's intention to receive higher rank. That opportunity is now not there any longer. An inspector today would be an inspector for a long time because there's no chief inspector's job. And the same with the superintendent. He'd be hoping to make chief superintendent no longer that opportunity because the rank's not there. You worked as a, a young detective in the second-hand dealer squad with the renowned Reg Henderson, the detective with the photographic memory. What did Reg teach you? Not a great deal because Reginald Ernest Henderson was very much a loner. He worked mainly by himself and I was in a a small squad that he was in charge of. He was a senior detective and I was one of three detectives that worked in that squad. But Reg always worked by himself and he had a great arrest rate, but he he didn't do any more than that. If he picked up a, a crim that was wanted, he would take him back to Russell Street CIB and he would ring up the Uh, appropriate uh, CIB, Metropolitan CIB, that were looking for that person. And Reg didn't do any more than arrest them and uh, then hand them over. Did he teach you a lot about how to carry yourself, though? Because he seemed to have a a real dignity, and a lot of members that worked with him speak of the, uh, the respect that he had in the job. Is that something that he did teach you? Oh, yes. He was... um, he was a very uh, much respected member. He never smoked, he never drank. Um, he was always uh, a good sportsman in his early days. He used to 
uh, play tennis on Wednesday afternoons uh, when he was in the job and they would play other teams within Victoria Police and he was a gentleman, a thorough gentleman. He was uh, always well-dressed and, you know, he was a very accomplished man. You went to DTS or Detective Training School. How did they train uniform members to become detectives? Well, before you did uh, DTS, you were uh, stationed at one of the CI branches in what they called a special patrol, and you worked in plain clothes with experienced detectives, and you learnt from their experience. And I was sent to St Kilda CIB, and I worked with detectives there, some of uh, them were good and some of them weren't so good. They'd, uh, they'd reached as far as they were going to go and, uh, and they didn't do much of a job, but the majority of them were good. I remember also one stage you coming home in a, with a cardboard box and having several little ducklings. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It uh, happened when I was a sergeant at Collingwood and I was working night shift and uh, and we were driving around somewhere in Collingwood and we saw these four or five of these little fluffy ducks uh, roaming around. So I caught them and put them in a box and took them home the next morning when I'd finished night shift and... Uh, we had a, uh, an above-ground swimming pool and uh, I put them in the swimming pool and they were quite happy there and we, we had them for quite some time. <laughs> you had a pretty tough upbringing, Bill. You pretty much were abandoned by your mum and you left school at 14. You worked on the construction of the Eildon Weir. What did the police force offer you? Well, working at Eildon was only a, a temporary role. There was an American company that came out and worked on the Eildon Dam and that was only going to be for four years. And uh, I was thinking I stayed there for that time and then when that was completed, the American Utah Construction Company went home and... I decided that uh, now was the time to apply to join the police force. One of your first stints, Bill, as a senior Connie, was guarding Parliament House and you were posted at Russell Street headquarters. What was life like in those days, in the 1950s, as a young single man who'd just joined the job? Give us a bit of a word picture. All the single men had to live in at Russell Street Police Headquarters and uh, it was a, a big tower of a building and the top five floors were for single members that had to reside in, they had no choice. The married men were allowed to live outside but the top five floors uh, were for the single men. So what would you do on a Saturday night, say for example? 
Well, there was always plenty to do. You were right uh, in the heart of the city. It was quite a little city in itself, Russell Street, as well as uh, D24, which was the communication centre. There was a dining room, there was a gymnasium, there was a library, and uh, you, as a single member, had access to all of these and uh, and you know it was was quite a good place to live and i believe your room in particular was uh very uh clean and tidy and a, a bit of a showpiece is that right well um there was a, a barracks senior sergeant and he was a very strict sort of bloke and he would come and inspect your room you didn't have to be there. He'd often inspect your room while you are at your station working and uh, your bed would have to be made with, uh, in a special way with envelope corners and I've uh, always made a bed with envelope corners ever since. I believe you also had a fish tank uh, in your premises, is that right? Well, I made my room as attractive as I could and yes, I had a, a fish tank in there with a couple of little goldfish in it and eventually I was able to get into another room at the end of the building which had little balconies. Early on in your career, you also worked down the docks, the Victoria docks. Now, these were the days of the Wharfies and the Painters and Dockers and Billy the Texan Longley. Wharfies were fined for even smoking down there. How were police perceived? How were you perceived? Police were disliked, if not hated. You did all your patrols on foot and when the Wharfies had finished their particular shift, they had to go out a special gate and the police were there and they would search their car, make them get out, open the boot and they weren't, uh, really weren't liked at all. Well, often the Wharfies too had lots of lurks and perks and false bottoms on things, didn't they, and, and uh, ways of secreting goods out. Yes, oh, they, they got up to all the tricks of the trade. And I remember on one occasion there was a guy that uh, he was a wharfie and uh, he walked out with a barrow, barrow full of straw and the police on the gate opened up, the, pulled the straw out and there was nothing in the barrow. And then short time later he came out with another barrow full of straw and the police looked under that and there was nothing there. He came out five times in all and it was only later that they were notified that five metal barrows had been stolen. Well, Bill, thank you very much for sitting with me today on The Crime Couch. OK, Rochelle, it was a pleasure. Mm -hmm.